Good afternoon and welcome to Susan Harmon Experience. We have a very exciting show for you today. I met our guest, Bobby Zemer, through a friend of mine, Olga. Uh, Olga and I met initially uh, in Phoenix at a um, spiritual event and her deceased daughter began talking to me was how we connected. And since then, we've become friends uh, over the last few years. And uh, Bobby is has very involved with Olga because of her daughter. Uh, Bobby Zimmer is an amazing woman. In the little bit of contact I've had with her, I have a great deal of respect for her. I haven't known her long. I intend to know her long. <laughs> but Bobby, welcome to Susan Harmon Experience. Thank you so very much. You um, you put together a pretty amazing book. It's huge. Thank um, you. I haven't read all of it. I couldn't do 800 pages in a few days. <laughs> <laughs> but I read I read a couple of the stories, and I read um, you know as much of you as I could. And um, this the chapters at the end of the book on how to recognize things and signs and and what advice uh, the grieving mothers could give. I read those so that I have a I have a take on it, you know. Okay. Uh, so I'm not sure how we should start. I'm thinking basically you tell we how much of your own story are you able to talk about? Can it just not be in print or are you uh, kind of um, unable to talk very much about your own story right now? Uh, I mean, I, I can talk a little bit about it, but for the most right. part, not uh, really. I just have to have a disclaimer that my daughter's story was published. It was public um, a few times in the newspaper, uh, most notably on the USA Today website. So if anybody is curious about my story, it's easy to find. Um, not necessarily one I have to tell. Of course, all the details aren't there because there's an active lawsuit. Uh, however, um, you know, Googling my name uh, for the USA Today, it would give you, a, you know, a complete overview of kind of what I'm going through as a parent. Right. And um, what exactly would you say, would you say all the stories were similar, or very different, or, or how would you describe uh, the different stories of the children that have lost their lives due to the opioid epidemic? Well, I mean, if it's okay, I'd like to step back for a second. So sure. um, I lost my daughter on October 10th, 2017. Uh, and uh, during that first year, I, I literally just felt like my entire world was spinning out of control and there was nothing to grab onto to, to help me gain my balance back. Um, that first year is the roughest, but the whole time I just kept saying, you know, and I've bought a lot of books, but I'm like, why isn't there a book that helps me? Because I did find the hashtag not in vain support group on Facebook and that was very helpful to be able to compare stories, to be able to compare challenges, um, to be able to compare reactions or how my body was responding to that amount of grief. Uh, it was helpful. But, you know, even though our group has grown in just three years, um, it's grown to 5,000 members. There's still a lot of families, wow. mothers that have not found us. That's just organic growth. Um, but you know, one of my questions that I had the whole time is, you know, a, how do we, first of all, prevent this from happening to where 
I'll be the first one to admit I was one of those people that firmly believed not my child would never happen to my child. You know, I was the top 5% of my industry. My career was taking off. Uh, My daughter, my children have never wanted for anything. Um, You know, the neighborhood we were living in, they're just, you know, I, I was the poster child for not my child. Um, And so when I was uh, hit with this, there's, there's just a lot of unknown. There's a lot of unknown as far as, as a parent, how to address it. Um, who to go to, who to talk to, where to look, what information to educate yourself. Um, I think the biggest mistake that a lot of the parents make and along the lines of, you know, the stories that you read is we were all unsuspecting. Um, None of us expected to be in this club. And so you say that that was a a fairly common factor. You, you were shocked at, at finding that this was happening in your family. Would you say that was fairly common? Absolutely. Well, common as far as like people finding out the way Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. What's wrong with my kid? Why is he, why is he staying in his room all the time? Why is he having these outbursts? Why, you know, what, what's going on? What's the cause of this? There was a lot, you know, and and even in the beginning of my story, like I second guessed and I thought I knew what I knew. Um, But anything as it pertains to alcohol or alcoholics or, um, any other type of addiction, for the most part, I mean, as a nation, we have a good hold on it. We have an 800 number you could call if you have a gambling issue. We have meetings mm-hmm. you can go to if you have an alcohol problem. There's Narcotics Anonymous that you can go to. Um, and there's Al-Anon even for parents. But parents, when faced with this or when they find out that their child has used or started using drugs, um, we fall into two categories, either a, we think we know all there is to know about it. And so we treat it like what we know, or two, we know nothing about it. We don't know where to go. Um, and then it just, it, it, so you, you asked me prior to this interview to think of three things, um, specifically Mm -hmm. I would want to touch on in addition to the book, you know, one of which would be prevention. And so along the lines of what we're talking about, uh, prevention starts, you know, with the families, with the parents being educated. So we cannot walk into this no longer as a country thinking, not my child. It very you know, well may be your child. I, I really agree with you on that. Uh, I don't think I mentioned to you that part of my past life in Seattle was I set up drug, alcohol, and gang prevention programs in Seattle for middle school kids. Uh, that Actually, middle school is too late. <clears throat> yeah, they're saying fifth grade now is yeah, really where they want to grade, start it. Mm-hmm. We need to we we need to get a handle. And you're right. If the parents are disconnected, it uh, it 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 doesn't it doesn't work. Well, um, I mean, and, and I'll say disconnected in this sense. Um, I don't mean I disinterested, but well, no, no, no. I, I wasn't meaning dis. I don't mean disconnected in the sense that. You know, when my kids or was I expecting that my kids at age 16, 17, 18 would uh, experiment, you know, but I thought experiment and experimenting included drinking alcohol or maybe smoking marijuana. Um, I don't want to call that a rite of passage, but it's something that, you know, it wouldn't shake up your world too much because it's it's more common. Right. Um, But these days, I mean, the stuff that's out there, you know, Alcohol, obviously, is something that, you know, should be put off anyway, but the drugs, I mean, it's, it's what, 
one pill can kill is more of the attitude now. And with the press mills and different things like that, it's not just the families who have faced substance abuse disorder with their child. It's, it's when you don't expect it, you don't know what to do. Right. Right. And sometimes parents don't even know, like their kid literally was given a pill that they took and it had fentanyl or carfentanil in it. And that was it one and done. So yeah. the stories, you know, I put together the stories for a couple of different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, one, my biggest objective is to create awareness and not just in this corner of the world being the mother's grief, which obviously I have a lot in common with, um, but exposing all the different areas. So it goes from educating, starting young, fifth grade, to educating the families. You know, personally, I think there needs to be more media uh, around parents, even if they don't think their child would ever do it, it's better to know. Um, well, yeah, I, you know, because we say words like, um, you know, what's a, what is some ecstasy? And I know that at a rave, they had undercover people there um, in Saddle. This was some years back, about 15, 15, 20 years ago. We have a lot worse drugs now. But anyway, the point being that they bought uh, ecstasy from four or five different sources. And there were three or four different chemical analysis done on the, I mean, they were done on all of the, all of the drugs support purported to be ecstasy. And they were all, they were three or four that were different from each other. So yeah. you don't know what you're getting. You don't. Um, I mean, I had my daughter at 13, uh, well, she's a lot older now, but at that age said, you know, my friends and I want to go and do, um, what was it she was saying they wanted to do? It was some uh, psychedelic drug. I said, okay, who's the chemist? Mm -hmm. And she said, what do you mean who's the chemist? Well, you're buying an illegal drug off the street from someone you don't know. You don't know who made it. You don't know what their intent was. You don't know what the ingredients are. So why would you want to put that in your body? And today it's a thousand times worse. I know it's because, horrible. Yeah, the, and with fentanyl and carfentanil, I mean, it's what was already a national emergency has been. I mean, it's terrible. Uh, mm -hmm. The second thing, you know, as far as how it affects the family when they lose, whether their child used one time and was done. I just met a woman not too long ago. Her sixteen-year-old son, very first time he ever tried anything, he was given a Xanax or what he thought was a Xanax. And it wasn't. Um, and and people throw the word Xanax around all the time. Oh, yeah, I'm going to take my Xanax, you know, and blah, blah, blah. Right? Right. Right. And, yeah. So, and, and then and we talk that about, case, you know, it was a very different situation with the one time he did it. And, I mean, where, where was he at the time? I mean, how... You know, just at a friend's house or a friend had given him a pill and he had taken it when he got home and his mother found him. Um, and that's, you know, part of so this book touches on everything that I wish I would have known prior to being in this situation, prior to being a grieving mother, what would help educate me where I didn't have to read 800 pages from cover to cover, but I could pick and choose, read through, maybe read the chapters before the chapters after, um, in which those chapters were all well thought out as far as, you know, how do you explain addiction? How do you explain, you know, your, your toddler that, you know, you just see their huge eyes to a 16, 17, 20 year old who now you can't even recognize them. Yeah. Um, 
you know, our children start out the same as everybody else's children. And that's where this does not discriminate at all. No. Um, and that was part of, you know, my biggest delusion. I did not think, I thought that I'd put myself into a different category, a different uh, group Your to where. Kids you know, safe. Your kids yeah, are safe. Yeah, my children would never do it, ever. Right, right. Why um, would they? They're, they have a good life. Everything's going well. Right. I mean, and then that you happens go into- to people that have miserable, unhappy lives. Your kids weren't like that. No, not at all. They were just hanging out with their friends. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. yeah. And then when you do find out that your child's using, you know, the first thing you do is try to find a rehab or a detox. And again, I didn't even really know what those were. So, you know, you call around and you do the best you can do and you're trying to find beds and it's hard enough to get beds, what they call beds or a space for your child when you have insurance. It's a little bit easier when you have insurance, but when they're uninsured, they have no hope. I mean, they may want to go to a place locally, uh, but there may be a six month waiting list. There's, um, there is, um, I mean, it's a huge industry, uh, Personally, I think the majority of it is just to make money and they don't do a whole hell of a lot to help anybody. Um, there needs to be more regu- Yeah, there yeah. needs to be more regulations. Yeah. There needs to be tighter accountability um, on programs. And it needs to be a national thing, not just by state, but literally like a national effort. Well, similar that, to what we're doing, re- similar to what we're doing with COVID. I really agree. Well, we, we're not doing it nationally with COVID. That's the problem. That's why we're not succeeding because it's not a national effort. It's the same way with the opioid thing. It, you know, I love this chapter you did, questions to consider when researching rehab facilities. You have, I think, 50 some odd. I'm trying to remember, like, um, let me look on this. Uh, 56 different questions to ask. These are good questions. Do you, have, do you think that you get straight answers from them? I mean, hopefully, but if you don't know to ask, you don't get any answer. Yeah. How do you know these questions unless you've been there? And when right. you're a parent, like, I, I don't know what to do. Well, there's, there's a list. You go to the yellow pages or you go online or do you know what I mean? And honestly, like, you know, this, the list of um, things to ask rehab facilities was actually that chapter was created by one of our mamas who she is a nurse and her husband's a doctor. Um, and she's actually that one didn't of do them any good at to help their child did it. No, no, that's the point. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. who you are. It can happen to anybody like her family. Yeah. It, everybody is caught off guard with this because they don't think it's going to happen to them. And that's the that's fallacy. those people over there. But that was me at one point. You know, and it my, was a lot of the mothers in this mm-hmm. book. It you is. Know, a lot. I mean, we have a lot of illusions about what we, what capabilities we have as parents. You know, you get this little baby, and I I remember my older daughter when she was born, and you know the tear ducts don't open up right away. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they don't have tears the first time they cry or holler. And I remember the day I was giving her a bath and her, and she had a tears come down, real tears. And I just sat down on the floor and started crying. My husband said, what is wrong with you? And I said, <laughs> I'm thinking of all the tears she's going to cry and there's nothing I can do about it. Right. And that's nothing compared to what you're going through. Nothing. No. And so this book is, is volume one. Um, of the Not in Vain series. There's going to be mm-hmm. 
a volume two that comes from a mother's perspective. I plan on doing other volumes that talk about uh, the aftermath, which picks mm-hmm. up from the time we lost our child um, from several different viewpoints, from the sibling's viewpoint, both during the, the, during the substance abuse disorder, when they were, you know, when their sibling was going through this. To, do, you, uh, um, do you think, seriously, because most people don't consider the ripple effect, oh, there was a person and they had an addiction and they died and blah, 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 but not just the parents, but the siblings. Do, do you, I it's mean. It's not just the siblings either. I mean, you know, and in some cousins, cases it's, yeah. well, no, in some cases it's uh, the child now being raised without a mother and or father or both. And so then what happens? Then that gets put on the grandparents or our system for foster care. Um, so you would think that if, if the right uh, policies were put in place and the right budgeting was put in place, I mean, all the other money that we're spending, would we would still save money. Um, yes. Yes. Because back to the, the original thing with, the, with treatment, so much of the treatment 30-day treatment is not going to do anything. No, a lot of times they'll put them into a, I mean, if, if they have really good insurance, what I have found in the past is they end up with kind of like a target on their back. And mm-hmm. in the past, you know, there's been facilities that will kick them out at day 28 just so yeah, they'll, of, you know, relapse so that yeah. they can go back in. And so it yeah. just becomes, you know, they're it's an industry that definitely needs to be addressed. We're losing far too many. We're losing them young. Um, I can tell you in Franklin County, Ohio, uh, I met with a county coroner and she said that the first six months of 2020, we had an increase of 73.4% of drug related deaths. Wow. In the first six months. Wow. That's huge. And And what do you, what do you attribute that to? I think it was growing anyway. Um, And then I think as soon as the numbers started coming down, they went back up as soon as COVID hit because people were losing their jobs, what jobs they did have. Um, There were checks that they were getting in the mail that maybe they didn't have an income before. And so now they get a $1,000 check or whatever the amount was. And if they have a substance abuse disorder, where do you think that money is going to go? $1,200 won't go very far. It was 1,200 for most cases. Um, Yeah. But but, I mean, still to give somebody who has a substance abuse disorder, $1,200. Yeah. Which wouldn't last very long anyway. Well, yeah. And tell them that they need to stay, you know, in their homes and not there's. Yeah. So, and then you run into divorces. The divorce rate goes up. Uh, There's suicides that go up both on the parent side as well as siblings. Um, I mean, this touches so many corners of the nation, but all we're looking at is that's not going to be my kid. My kid's not going to be an addict. Um, yeah, there's a, one of the things we're really good at in this country is denial. I mean, we've got that down pat. We just look at, uh, I remember talking to a, a, a group of people, you know, trying to get some money for uh, some programs I was doing for the kids and saying, look, uh, these immigrant children, you know, they, their, their mother and their father are both working two or three jobs because there's such low pay on these jobs. They're doing the best they can. They've gotten their children away from a war-torn situation. They're in the United States. Life is good. This is perfect for them. 
and uh, they're not, you know, they're with them. And, and the response from one of the gentlemen in this group was, well, if the parents would spend more time with the kids, I'm like, they're yeah. trying to keep a roof over their head and food on the table. They're doing the best they can do. So further blaming the parents isn't yeah, really useful. We have doctors, lawyers, um, medical professions across all industry. We have uh, politicians in some cases, musicians, um, people in Hollywood. I mean, this is happening. It's just right. there's a lack of empathy even in the rehabilitation um, sector uh, I where, agree. where they don't really see this person as not only being maybe somebody's child, but somebody's parent, somebody's sibling. I mean, if we could just handle it at the beginning, which is, uh, you know, the education, both the kids and parents and hospitals and medical and, you know, because I, I find a lot of times, even like when the ambulances, I'm taking some of the books over to the fire departments just so they can have some empathy because I'm sure they see this they day don't. in day out. They don't they have get, empathy. Mm-mm. Well, they I see it so much. So they're, yeah. they're numb to they, it. Mm-hmm. But if they could but, read like the book where it puts it in from a mother's perspective, mm-hmm. It gives a face to the statistics. What do you think is the best thing we as a society, what me as a person individually contribute to educate parents? What what would be the best thing, way to educate them? I know there's not just one one way, but but of the top ten, what would you what would you start first? I mean, I think we do billboards on a lot of things. You know, why are we not putting more attention on this? So whether I'm a parent and I maybe don't want to sit down and listen to a podcast or Google information because maybe my pride, like in my case, I thought I already knew what I needed to know. Mm -hmm. But if there were billboards up there, you know, for instance, and I didn't make this up, but one pill could kill. You know, I mean, something that not only is a little bit alarming to the kids, because they truly are taking their lives in their own hands and their brains aren't even fully developed at that age. But well, not till 25. To, to, right. And to put the seriousness, like literally whatever pill somebody has given you, you don't know what that is. No. You know what they tell you that it is, but it only takes one and that's it. One and done. Yep. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, prevention method, methods, um, making sure that, you know, as a nation, we see it up in our face. Nobody sees it. We, we see no, if we see somebody on the street who's struggling, and if we do see somebody who's struggling on the street, attitudes normally are, ooh, you know, ooh, that's not my get kid. Get away from me. Yeah. Exactly. And they, they're they created that, it, that for themselves. If they, if they hadn't done that, they wouldn't be that, in that position. And that's the perception, which is really mm-hmm. wrong. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's inhumane, it was- actually. You know, we, we like to talk about humanity and being an empathy. But if you have no empathy, it doesn't mean you have to experience yourself. There are, are there's a certain percentage of our society that if they themselves don't experience something, it doesn't exist. And that is the drug pandemic, Susan. Yes, yes. <laughs> because it, it has is. not happened to their family. And that's one of the questions I always ask, you know, and I don't mean to be so... Uh, direct, but I'm just going to be like, whose loved one has to die for this to grab the headlines? Mm -hmm. And why do we have to wait for that? Do you know what I mean? Like, I would rather save that person from knowing this. I I totally agree with you. Uh, I want to come back. I want to ask ask you some more questions about what to ask a treatment facility to, because that's a really big thing for me. I've seen so much of 
plan, you know, like planned obsolescence, planned failure, planned failure because it makes them more money. And I'd like to, to address that a little bit and what you have found out in the, in the work that you've been doing with this. Uh, I, you didn't start out knowing this stuff and most people don't. You have to, you know, and by the time you do enough uh, ask questions, learn this, learn that, your, your kid could be dead. Exactly. So, and that uh, happens. That mm -hmm. happens a lot. Yeah, you find out so, what not to do when it's done. So again, the reason that this book was put together so that we could get it into the hands so that they can flip to that chapter and they can literally just run through and ask those questions. They don't need to think about what they need to ask. We've already provided them through, unfortunately, our own broken heart. I think that's great. We're going to get more into that when we come back from break. You are listening to Susan Harmon Experience. I'm here with Bobby Zamer, uh, her book, Not in Vain. Uh, it's an 800-page encyclopedia, brilliant, well done. I see these whole series that she's going to come out with are going to help so many people. So we're going to tell you how you can get the book, how you can get hold of Bobby, and what else you can do to make a difference in this world. Stay tuned, Susan Harmon Experience. You're invited to returning to the one and all cultural retreat stemming from the single thread that traveled the four directions and now unifies through energy work with fire, water, earth and air, both individually and in group. The five participants will evolve reserve space for early bird discounts because space is truly limited to five participants. This retreat takes place in sunny Arizona during January for a four day in resort setting with private pools. Email Susan at SusanHarmon.com for more information. That's Susan at SusanHarmon.com. Walter Pollan, author of the book Evolution of the Spirit and the freeware astrology program Astrolog, offers an amazing tool specially designed for the spiritual seeker. The Labyrinth Oracle is an easy-to-use divination card deck to help guide one through the twists and turns of the maze of life. This deck comes with 109 unique cards with detailed interpretations for each card. Purchase options include a sparkly line drawstring bag and a wood box to store your deck. The Labyrinth Oracle was created by a brother and sister team. Walter designed the system and his sister Kathy brought the cards to life with colorful illustrations. To get your copy, visit astrolog.org oracle.htm. Thinking of giving something special and unique to someone who is special and unique for winter solstice or Christmas? Contact Susan for that one-of-a-kind Christmas gift of a personalized healing wand or talisman, or even a bottle of sacred water or tones of light CD. A gift certificate can be used for a stone, a session, a mediumship, or an intuitive counseling session. Call or email today, 206-853-5225, or email Susan at at SusanHarmon.com. That's Susan at SusanHarmon.com for details. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Tori Ryder, author of She Said What?, who shares her insights into our current status and our nation's direction in 2021. On Saturday, Tanya and Joey Medea return with frightening and enlightening stories from their latest book, Roommates from Beyond, How to Live in a Haunted Home. They speak from experience. Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. 
To meet the challenges of travel in these times, Susan Harmon has developed a new way of working that she's calling a bi-locality session. You can relax in your own home while Susan is in her healing room laying stones on the massage table and connecting with you via phone from her healing pyramid. She drums tones while you feel what is taking place as though you were both in the same location. It's really quite amazing how well it works. Call 206-853-5225 or email Susan at SusanHarmon.com to set up your appointment. Seattle, Tacoma, Antwerp? That's right. We're streamed worldwide on our app and on the web at 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Susan Harmon Experience. I'm here with Bobby Zemer, and we're talking about her book, Not in Vain. Uh, this is an 800-page, basically, encyclopedia, stories of, of children that have been lost to the opioid epidemic. And uh, there's a couple of chapters I was personally very interested. I didn't read all the chapters of each story. Uh, there's, uh, sir, I'd say somewhere between two and four pages, wouldn't you, Bobby, on, on how long the stories are about the children? Uh, it just depends. Um, some mothers were able to go into um, detail, and so their stories could be, you know, 10 pages. And then some moms could truly only bring themselves to one page. Right. Um, and that's the most that they had to give. But there's 167 stories. None of the mothers talked to each other before writing this. I gave them a bit of a guide on things to think about. But that's mm-hmm. why you'll find, you know, they're, they're, the stories are different. But what's interesting is there's a lot of similarities also. There are. I didn't read. I, I think I only read three or four. But there were similarities in the ones I read. Right. Um, and yet differences. So I'm thinking, well, how can you figure out what, where the similarities are, hook onto that, and then see what, what's different and, and how these things can, what we can do. And seriously, if I live next door to you, what can I do as your neighbor to make a difference besides, you know, bake you a casserole and bring it over? You know what I mean? As far as what, for a grieving mother? Or- yeah. Well, w- moving past not just the grieving mother, but what can I honestly, and people don't know what to say or what to do. That's a real problem. What well, and go ahead. we are their worst nightmare. Yes. We, we're, yeah. we're every person's worst nightmare. Nobody wants to say me too on this. And I don't want to invite anybody to the club. No, um, it's not a club that you want to be in. Nope. But, um, but you are. And yeah. you are doing something about it. And you are trying to prevent anybody else from joining the club, if at all possible. I call it creating purpose through the pain. And my job is to educate as many families as I can uh, so that they are better prepared before their children decide to experiment with anything or are given anything at school that they decide to ingest. Um, you know, it's not going to hurt to read other people's stories to learn. You know, you don't have to go out and Google. We put it in one spot. Well, you know, I was interested in one of the questions that you asked. It it, it really touched on me. Uh, is there a complete medical examination done by a physician to include blood work, urinalysis, drug screening, cardiac and lung evaluations, vital signs, EKG completed, and within how many hours of admission? Now, you're asking for this facility that's taking responsibility for your child to to understand them physically when they enter. Yes. 
And, and I don't think lip- that's unreasonable of you. No. And again, these are questions that I myself wish I would have asked. Um, you know, but you have to figure the kids that are coming in there, first of all, it's already kids, adults, mothers, fathers, whatever you want to say, people that have substance abuse disorder. It's already a huge accomplishment to get them to the point where they say, yes, I want to get better. I'm going to dedicate to this. And when you have that moment, it's a small window. You want to jump in it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the times you have to figure these people, they've been using drugs. So you don't know what underlying medical condition they may or may not have. Right. So that is where the blood work or, you know, your analysis or whatever to find out what they're on, um, to find out if there's anything else happening within them um, that may need a heightened medical, you know, intervention. Um, so, so yeah, the would, testing what, what, is, is really important. Yeah. What would be some of the things that you have found out through you know, not just your own life, but um, of the, of the women you've been talking to the moms you've been talking to that um, might need attention that people aren't thinking about. So not speaking to my specific situation, but just again, you know, there's 5,000 moms that are part of our group. Um, you know, a lot of it is the oversight. A lot of it is, you know, to your point, empathy or seeing that mm-hmm. person as somebody who is truly struggling, but they, they're there. They've committed themselves. They've checked in. They're there to get better. And it's really just trying to find which there's a very small percentage of places that give the care to your child that you're, that you're paying for. More than anything. And you're paying a lot. A lot. Yeah. You know, a lot. Medical supervision, I think there should be in-house medical supervision, if, if not a doctor, at least a, a nurse on site. Well, mo- they, they all should. Again, there's different rules for different states, yeah, and I should. can't speak to all of them. Uh, but there should be. Yeah. I mean, they definitely, it's not a vanilla disease. No. This is a multi-layer disease. Um, I, yeah, I could just—it's beyond me to try to des- describe how far this reaches. Right, right. But it's a real problem. It is. So there's a. I think that 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 looking at this, um, do you think that it? I mean, that there should be a a um, national group that comes together. You could start with not in vain. Uh, but, you know, a group that could, uh, from that, a smaller group and a task force, if you will, uh, to look at things that can be done in terms of prevention. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly what everybody is hoping for. So, you know, there is a group, which I call like my home group that I belong to. Your home but, girls, you know, huh? it's <laughs> home, home group. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's rare. Um, there are more mothers who become champions and advocates of creating change. So there, there is, I have my home group, but there's thousands of them. But to your point, at some point, even though we we have our own home groups, we all have the same message and the same goal. And that is to, you know, get on this so that nobody else has to go through what we're going through. Um, We do need to be united, you know, and I think all the groups are great for what they do, but there does have to be some type of national attention on this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that of your questions that were asked that struck me as, as peculiar, but still piqued my curiosity, has your facility been convicted in court? If yes, can you define why? That seems to me that if you've... It, 
I don't know. That would that would be a red flag for me. It would. Um, however, you know, as you know, industries can twist and turn and get in and out of loopholes and mm -hmm. uh, roles in general. Um, I have heard through my group and through others how there have been deaths at rehabs and detox facilities that the person's been there for 12 to 24 hours, sometimes longer. And it doesn't matter because if they call the paramedics and the paramedics come and they try to resuscitate, the time of death is recorded or called at the hospital. So, oh, yeah. So whether they're, you know, whether it happened on location or not, there's not always a guarantee you're going to get the, the honest answer. You know, and then your last and final question on that list was, I thought, extremely important. Break down your policy of discharge planning to the next level of care and the long-term treatment plan. Does it include about 18 months overall step-down levels of care? This seems to be the single greatest predictor of long-term recovery. Is, do most facilities have such a thing? To my knowledge, no. That's what I thought. And not only that, you know, you, the, most facilities, are, as you're aware of, are 30-day facilities. And 30 days is not Nothing. enough. You can't it's, even it's detox. Not enough. You can't even detox in 30 days. Well, their brain has been reprogrammed, right? right. The drugs right. have affected their neuro or you know, their neurotransmitters and everything else. I mean, it, it's going to take longer than 30 days. Um, my daughter had agreed to go for a year. I think the 18 month, I think that's even safer. They have to get past a certain point because otherwise it's like a drum constantly hitting in the back of their head. It's just, it just gets louder and louder. Yeah, there was, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the program. I don't think it exists anymore, but there they couldn't be court ordered in a person coming into the program. They had to be coming in because they chose to. Now, mind you, they had fewer drugs than we have now, but mm -hmm. be that as it may. The thing they did was the men wore suits and, and the wore dresses. Now we go, oh, well, we don't need to go into that. But it changes your mind mindset how you're dressed you know when you when you put on your Sunday go to me clothes it's a lot different than when you put on your gardening clothes All right and you are a different person depending on your quote uniform so that was one of the things and it had to be a one-year commitment that anything less than that would not work Delaney Street that. that was the name of them Delaney Street I would agree and, with that and, and if we I had think I was just going to say, if we had 12 month programs, you know, all of the other areas that we've touched on as far as, you know, the grandparents raising grandbabies or mm -hmm. the foster, or foster system or the families and the siblings and the suicides and the divorce rates and all that, you know, we would take a huge chunk out of that if we just address the issue in the beginning versus the revolving door of rehab. That's right. Well, or, I'm, I'm just going to tell you very frankly, I feel the revolving door of rehabs is much like private prisons. It's, it's, it exists for one reason, and that is to make money. And they, and I don't care. Uh, I mean, that this is my opinion. And, it does. Uh, well, they do. They do make a lot of money. They make <laughs> a lot true. of money, and they make a money at the expense 
of people's lives. That's- well, and part of the issue too is I've even heard stories, which you'll see some in this book, in the Not in Vain book, um, of kids who made that ultimate decision. Yes, I want to go get help. I'm ready to go get help. Right. So the parent has struggled. They've scrambled. They found a bed finally somewhere, first one available because you're you're desperate. Right. You're trying to save your child. Right. And um, your child goes in there, whether it's for 30 days or whatever, uh, the the challenge, and I was trying to go somewhere with that. Sorry, I just lost the track, my track of my, or my thought pattern. Um, oops. Oh, but a lot of them, a lot of them will try to detox themselves, meaning they'll go two days, three days, which feels like they're dying. I mean, literally everything, their body feels like they're dying, but they try to well, knuckle it. And they try to white knuckle it through it. And then they finally say, I give up. I can't do this. I've got to go into treatment. And guess what? Some treatment facilities, you know, they'll have them pee or do a, you know, a a urine urinalysis. And unless their pee is dirty, they won't take them. So here the kid is trying to do the right thing. They're trying to get off of this themselves. They've cried uncle. They've gone to a rehab and the rehab now says, eh, you know, you need to go use so that your urine's dirty so that we can take you as a patient. And that one use could be their last. Yeah, because this is something else that um, people involved with uh, uh, drug use uh, understand that it is clean and they use a drug used previously. They usually try to use the dosage that had done the last time they'd done drugs and their body, it's way more than their body can tolerate and they OD. That's part. And then the other part is they're also, like I said, I can't speak enough to carfentanil, um, fentanyl, and then carfentanil is even stronger than that. The same thing, maybe, and maybe they go and get the exact dose that they know they're supposed to take, but there's carfentanil in it. Well, you know, so there's no winning to this. There's no winning to this other than to get them off. The only thing fentanyl was designed originally was for dying patients. That we're in and then so much car pain. fentanyl is a elephant tranquilizer. Oh my god! So if you imagine <laughs> fentanyl being fentanyl being ten pieces of salt, imagine mm-hmm. one piece of salt being car fentanyl. Oh, I mean, it, yeah. So there's just nothing. And, and animal tranquilizers they're taking, you know, now. Like- well, they're not taking it. It's being pressed into pills and put into heroin and put into cocaine and put into ecstasy. Um, like I said, it's just not a time in history that anybody would, not that I would ever recommend experimenting with any of this stuff, but right, I understand, but even still, worse, if they do, it could be, that's it. That's one and you're done. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the list of things that you've, you know, appetite, attitude, behavior, all of these mm-hmm. things like, like selling their prized possessions to get to buy drugs. These are all, all good signs for parents to, to look for, to know what they're doing, like not taking care of their teeth because the teeth are really attacked at these drugs. The calcium deposits, teeth and bones are, you know, they attack the calcium deposits uh, in your body. 
Right. So the book does try to educate, um, you know, again, the stories are in between 167 stories in between, but at the beginning of the book, it goes through not my child, what to expect when you are grieving the death of your child. Mm -hmm. And then to your point, it goes into, you know, what does, what, what does it feel like to be the mother of an addictive child or addicted child or a child with substance abuse disorder, noticeable behavior changes from drugs. Again, Mm -hmm. things, you know, you just don't know what to look out for if you've never been in the situation or been around anybody, the signs and symptoms to look for again, you know, to your point. Um, and there was, uh, other things to look for, like things I'd never even thought about, like bottle, uh, water bottle lids still don't know what they are used for. Um, but there's all kinds of miscellaneous things that as a parent, if your child or relative or whoever is using some form of drug, normally there's some type of paraphernalia that goes with that. But if you don't know what that is, because you've not been like, I could tell you what a marijuana uh, pipe looks like. I couldn't tell you other than from what I've seen on TV, you know, what a needle looks like to do heroin, but there's a lot of things in between all that. You know, I, I wouldn't even know. I didn't know what to look for. Yeah, there were some things in here that I went, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, the itching is an interesting one. There's a lot of reasons to, okay, it isn't always drug use, but it looks, uh, some of these things like diagnosed with sepsis on the skin, you got on a pimple or a bug bite or unexplained skin rash. Mm-hmm. For other reasons, you're going to have a skin rash, but if you also have have you're not bathing or you're you know you're uh doing a bunch of other things uh the one that that was a surprise to me cigarette filters and half or more nicotine that was interesting yeah I, you know i'm like okay i mean I it, had, we're not saying that we're not saying that you if, if you find one bottle cap or if you find right one of these things we're saying look at these understand these read these and if there's more than one, if, if you're just not feeling right about it, something just isn't adding up, it probably isn't. Look deeper into it. Well, there was uh, there was one thing you listed in here, and I can't find it right now, but it was uh, finding uh, anti-diuretic uh, bottles mm-hmm. um, that, that if you take enough of that, it'll give you the same high as uh, opium, I mean, the opioid. Um, that yep. just was a shocker to me. Yeah, we have uh, one of the mothers who I'm very close with. Um, she lost her son because of that. Imodium. Imodium, uh, yes. Imodium. He had too much Imodium, and I, I guess it was along the lines of what you just described as far as to get that high, but he overdosed on it. Yeah, I mean, that I would not, it would never have occurred to me. Right. And I'd like to think I know somewhat about this, but I'm reading some of the stuff on Boy, I got a lot to learn here. Exactly. And that's the point, though. You don't know what you don't know. So Mm -hmm. I would rather, as a parent, be armed with things I should at least pay attention to or maybe be aware of than do what I did before and have the attitude, not my child. I should have. But again, I I didn't know what I didn't know, and I thought I knew more than I did. Yeah. And then... The, the list you have that is, is really to deal with signs of an overdose. When my father-in-law was at our home and he was dying, he was doing the, that death roll. The know, death rattle? 
Mm-hmm. Because, but that's a normal part that went along with end of life for him. And he was, mm-hmm. doing, you, you know, and that, that when you should hear the rattle, not from a teenager. Right. Um, yeah. The same situation's happening if you're hearing that. Right. And they're dying. Um, one of my dearest friends, her uh, sister had, had was using, she had gotten clean and then she started using again. And she and her, the, my friend and her mother were going through, had been nodding out was it, and they were like, so angry and trying to find the drugs. And she was dying while they were going through looking for the drugs and being angry with her. And she was just devastated that her sister died under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. I said, it wasn't your fault. You know, it's not your fault. But yeah, I mean, think about the parents or the siblings who find the person, you yeah. know, I mean, you yeah. can't unsee that. And no. the parents are already most likely if their child's you know, suffered from substance abuse order for a little disorder for a little while. I mean, they're already every single parent I've ever met through this journey has post-traumatic stress disorder oh, from yeah. just dealing siblings? with both the siblings yeah. as well as the parents, you know, during the battle of trying to save that person as well as after. I mean, there's just so much. You, you can't plan a day. You don't. Well, one of the things that got me under paraphernalia that I thought folded up lottery tickets. What? Folded mm-hmm. up lottery tickets? Yep. Well, yeah, that was odd to me. Like, well, what would you do with that? You they know? transport drugs in it. They fold it up and transfer the drugs in it. Yeah, I just, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, things that you think of as just normal stuff that you have around. Yeah, like I said, a bottle cap, a water bottle cap. Like, I wouldn't have thought about that. No. <clears throat> now, um, I had a had a, a son of a friend of mine stay with me, and I had a bunch of spoons disappear. Mm. And they had, and I'm like, okay, should I tell mom? I just wasn't sure how to handle it. And you can, you know, but again, it's kind of like tattling on somebody's kid. You know, they're probably not going to listen to you as much as the child and child's going to tell a very compelling story. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it could just simply be, I don't know what she's talking about. Right. But you can still try, you know, I would say, try, try, try. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. I did. I, I, I talked, I said, well, this is the situation here and blah, blah, blah. I'm not sure how you want to handle it, but you know, I need to be honest with you because you're my friend. And if you notice, Yep. And if you notice too, um, the book is, is big. It would take two of yeah. these books on top of each other to equal the number of people that we lost yesterday. I mean, so when you put that in perspective, when you're holding this book that weighs three pounds, um, it would take two of them to equal Listen yesterday. To so, and, and there's uh, pictures, we put pictures in there because we wanted to show, you know, here was our all American child. And then this was what the ends look like. And the end is not a living child that has, you know, marks on their face where they've been scratching or whatever. The end is the headstone or an urn or well, go ahead. That's true. There's so much. We are running out of time and yes, I want to make sure that people can get this book. What is the best way for them to get it or to find your organization? Both of those things I think that people need to know. So I, uh, one thing that I think is notable is that 100% of the proceeds of this book, 100% are being donated 
back to the mothers um, to help keep continue supporting more mothers as they come in. Uh, I'm not sure with future books what's going to happen. Um, the the group that I belong to, not in vain, hashtag not in vain. That is the group that I went to to help me through my grief as a mother. The book itself is independent, as will all the series be, but just. To write this book, these mothers helped me in my darkest days, and mm-hmm. I wanted to help them. So that's why I donated it, why the entire thing's donated. But people can go to Amazon. Uh, all they need to look for under Amazon is not in vain. And they can even type in Bobby if they want, B-O-B-B-I-E. It'll come right up, purple cover. Um, and uh, if people are interested or need to find a support group, there is one, hashtag not in vain, all one word, that is on Facebook. Uh, for mothers who find themselves in this predicament. Um, it's a lifelong sentence and it's not, it's not easy, you know, but no, we try to no. create purpose through the pain and try to support each other and try to educate others before this happens. Well, the person that introduced me to you is my friend, Olga. And um, I know how devastated she was. I mean, with the loss of her daughter, mm-hmm. uh, which, wasn't through an overdose, but it was because of drug. Right. And, um, you know, it's devastating. All aspects of this are, it's long, it doesn't stop. It, it's not, well, it's not one because it keeps going on. Well, I mean, again, you say, you know, how long, when will you stop loving your child? Never. Exactly. Yeah. So, so. It's very, very difficult. Um, I'm, I'm glad there are success stories too, but how many a day are we losing? Uh, last I've heard was 300 to 400 per day. Um, COVID's making everything. It, it was like 192 a day, which is still a lot. And if an airplane was going down okay. of 192 people and now up day. that, almost double that, right, there right. would be attention on it. Yeah. <laughs> there would. So if we had one plane for COVID, Two planes for opioid. We had three planes a day going down, and the whole and everybody on the plane dying. We would say we need to do something. Exactly. So we are going to do something here. I'm going to do everything I can. If you need to get hold of me to get hold of Bobby, go ahead and do that. This is a very important issue, and we care what happens. Thank you, Bobby, so much for thank being, you taking the time to be on here with me. This is indeed a great public service. And I usually end by saying, whatever you do, remember to keep on dancing. And still, still with all of this, we do have to dance.